Hello and welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in this series, we will be exploring the current job market and work opportunities in Australia for returning Australian expats. I'll be talking to organisations who engage with Aussie expats about where they see the opportunities and the challenges for Australians coming home. If you've just returned, are thinking about it, this series will give you the current lowdown on working and networking back home. Hi everyone, and welcome to this special podcast episode on the release of the report, Should I Stay or Should I Go? My name is Simone Pregelio, and I've been working with Margot on the Australian Expat Career Survey that sought to find out the role work and job plays in an Australian's decision to come home. We were really thrilled that 450 Australians answered that call, so thank you. The report is now out, and while every word on its 20 pages is riveting, Margot and I just wanted to help the time pour with a cheeky podcast to share the five insights that really stuck out to us. You can download the full report from the InSync website. So, Margot, let's get started with a big question. Whose mum do you think pulled in the most people to the survey? I think my mum, Katie, is responsible for at least 10 out of the 450. How did Rosemary go? Uh, well, Rosie does love a good Facebook post and <laughs> she was uh, promoting it far and wide for us. And um, I know that most members of her Deepwater running group also knew about it. Lots of mums and dads, I think, in her world that have kids overseas. So I would hazard a guess that she's got 10 up there as well. And I'm very grateful to both of our mums for doing that because um, it's just an absolute insight into the world of community, which is how we certainly got the podcast out there. Well, that's certainly where we started by thanking everyone we know. Um, But then we did have a little bit of help. Oh, absolutely. We had some fantastic partners on board. Um, And for those of you who've tuned into our last podcast series, you heard us chat to each of them. And they were people that had cohorts of expats or worked directly with expat groups. So we were very grateful for their sponsorship and advocacy for us because it certainly helped us um, push it out into all corners of the globe. And I guess, you know, as we know, expats are a tightly knit bunch. You know, they have a strong sense of community, so they certainly shared it. And we had representation from, I guess, the typical hotspots that we would suspect, which was, you know, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, um, New York. But then we ended up with Panama and Cuba and Kenya and some really far-flung places, which um, I think also makes it for very interesting uh, reading when we were collating all the data. Special shout out to my friend Julie, who helped us get coverage in Kenya. I think we made the Australians in Kenya WhatsApp group um, and all of a sudden we had a big spike of uh, contributions from Kenya. So um, big thank you to those people. So moving on to our insights, we should start with the, the big one, the big overall one, which was really understanding what role does job and career factor in the decision to come home. I know for me personally, when I came home from Singapore, I was really conscious that I wanted to come home with my job. I was a relatively new mortgage holder and really had a sense of, for for me, instability into coming back to Australia. I really wanted to to come back with my existing role for that sense of continuity. I know for you, Margot, it wasn't a factor. You knew it was time you were going to come home and start again. So really, we would wanted to unpick what is the current status. So from our 450 people who answered our survey, turns out that work and job, it matters quite a lot. It's a really big factor in that decision to come home, not only in the decision to come home, but really shaping the how and the when. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 70% said, yes, it matters. So that's, you know, a significant factor. And, you know, 66% said it was moderate to high. So whilst we know lifestyle is absolutely named as the number one um, reason for coming home, you know, family needs, aging parents, kids, etc., it doesn't diminish the role or the factor that work remains important. And I think even if I think about myself, yes, I made the decision to come home and I came home without a role, but I certainly didn't come home thinking, okay, work is irrelevant. I came home thinking it played a significant role and that I was looking forward to, I guess, plugging into the Australian business community and using my skills I'd used overseas. And I think for many people, that's the case. They come home ready to contribute and, you know, the challenges can unfold from there. I think what was really interesting that came out in the report was you know, whilst only 30% said that they would only come home with a role, there was a significant factor that said they wanted confidence in the market um, for a permanent role. So knowledge of how they would translate their skill set. And then the second cohort was confidence that they could consult or contract in the market. So the word confidence really came up for me in the market. And I think that's something that we need to really think about is if we're an expat overseas, how are we plugging into here and building our knowledge, our intel, our networks from abroad, because that's what will give us confidence. And conversely, um, especially in this market, a skill short one, if I'm a potential employer, how am I looking at communicating what is on offer for expats who are overseas? The second insight was that most Australians intend to come home. So while we go overseas, and we may not have a fixed time frame. Some people do, a lot of people don't. 80% of people said that they actually intend to come home at some stage. Did that surprise you? Not really. I think for many people, what sort of starts out as an adventure for one or two years can quickly become five or 10. But I think for many people, they ultimately think that they will come home. And it's just that time frame. It's sort of like, well, when and how do I make that call? I do think the lifestyle factors are the indicators around when. But, you know, I I wasn't surprised that most people do intend to come home at some point. What was interesting, though, was that half have said they're coming home or would like to come home in the next five years and another quarter have said in the next one to two years. So if we think about the DFAT stat of 1 million expats overseas at any given time and we've got, you know, 25% wanting to come home in the next one to two years, that's a lot of people Mm -hmm. and a lot of opportunity for us as a business community and as a nation. But also I think in terms of expats coming back, it's like, okay, well, if the market's hot at the moment, how do I tap into it? And it's taking a long-term view that this traffic is circular. There's always people going, there's always going to be people coming back, particularly when 80% admit that it's their intention to come back. There is a level of consistency there that you're just going to have people going overseas and coming back and often coming back for lifestyle reasons that happen inevitably. I think one of the interesting stats that did come out was that 42% of people have repatriated before. So I actually hadn't seen any data around that. So I was pleased to see, I think, some numbers around that. And when we asked why are people going back overseas, it really fell into two camps. It was, you know, look, some people said, look, it's just too good an opportunity to pass up. 
whilst others were returning simply because they'd had time or struggles, you know, navigating the market and securing a role at the right level or meaningful work at the right level or in the right time frame. So, I mean, that was sort of interesting for us, I think, too. A secondary piece to that is for people who are overseas with an organisation, only 1% expect to be transferred home. So expats are going to come home of their own will or their own accord. They're going to fund their own way home. They're going to come home when the time is right for them. So in terms of how and when people are coming, I thought that was just an interesting insight as well. I thought with the 42% having repatriated before and and the reasons why they go back overseas, yes, there might be a reason that they couldn't find a role here. But also once you've moved overseas to work, you know what's involved and it may not frighten you to do it a second time. So I was thinking about my own experience. I've repatriated twice, but different stages of life, very different career stages. And obviously moving for me is something that I've done before. I know what's involved. And so I can make probably a a decision that other people who may be more fearful of making that move in the first place could make. Yeah. And I also think too, it goes the other way, right? You know, so when people are coming home for the second or third time, they're much more informed about what it takes, the time that it takes. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that often catches people by surprise is just how long it does take to not just navigate the market, but settle back in. So I think there's definitely a little bit more insight there. So um, yeah, again, an interesting insight. The third insight, and this is probably the one that stood out to me the most, was that hirers aren't calling Australians overseas. And I think because you and I have been on that journey, so we look at those statistics and we know that thousands of Australians at any given time are actively considering a role and according to the survey, they're looking for a trigger to actually execute that decision. But 80% said they've never been approached by an Australian hirer. 30% said they have been proactive but the results were mixed. Some people had great experiences and were able to secure a role before they left their overseas um, life. Others reported quite a lot of difficulty. I think if you think, okay, 80% plan to come home, so that was the stat we started with, and then 80% of that 80% have never heard from a recruiter or a hiring manager. And we are in a chronic skills shortage here. I mean, it's the money shot or the money slide, really, when I think about it, is that we have a huge cohort of talent that is open and ready to listen and engage in what those opportunities look like. They just can't see them. And, you know, conversely, hiring managers and recruiters can't see the expats. So there is this disconnect that I think is really high. I think in terms of the challenges, like 33% you know, who had made contact with Australian organisations or hiring managers and recruiters, as you said, had mixed returns. And when we looked anecdotally at what some of those comments were, for those who'd struggled, the big one was that people were being told, wait till you come home. Now, I think that's a really hard one to swallow when you've been away for 10 years or 15 years and you've got assets overseas, you've got kids in school, you've got lifestyles that have set up. It's very hard to unravel a lifestyle to come home, you know, really on a wing and a prayer um, with no line of sight. And when we think about the demographic of the people who completed the survey, you know, they're 45 to 55. The next subset was 35 to 45. Typically, that's the most expensive phase of life and also the most earning capacity. Now, whilst we know that a lot of people are willing to trade on that earning capacity to come home, 
it doesn't mean that they want to earn nothing. <laughs> so they need to have a level of confidence that they can translate their skills in, in a meaningful way. We did hear stories about people who had engaged and who'd had positive experiences, but um, yeah, unfortunately, it was definitely much more on the negative side than the positive. So it's something I guess we've got to draw some conclusions from there. Well, that leads us neatly into the fourth insight, which is most Australians, 83% of them, have concerns about coming home and having their international experience recognised is the number one concern. But 50% who do come home get a job in the first three months. So, Margot, what's going on here? Yeah, again, this was a really surprising stat because it actually doesn't align with what I hear anecdotally. Now, potentially when people reach out to me when they've landed home, they're struggling, right? So maybe that is a lens that I'm looking at things through. But I also know that we are in a chronic skill short market here. So the market is hot. And if you know your sector well, it's about how do I actually reach out and engage with some confidence here that there is a need? I think one of the things, though, is when we do cut the data a bit more deeply, the more senior you are and the longer you've been away, the harder it does become and the longer it does take. Now, 60% of people did rate it as difficult to navigate the market. So um, I think what is happening there is people are surprised at the length of time that it is taking them or the challenges that they're having to overcome. So that's about being ready to position yourself against what some of those challenges might be. I think one of the things too that I would be really interested when we do this again, because I'm sure we will, (laughs) is I would like to probably delve a little bit further into that question to understand have those 50% secured meaningful work or work at a level that they were happy with. So it's not just about getting a job, but getting a meaningful job that is actually, I guess, seeing you enter the market at an appropriate level. And understanding too how much work those people did to line up those opportunities before they came home. Because what I found interesting was that for people who are living overseas right now, I think it was 50% spending one to two plus years planning that trip home. So it's a very deliberate move. So obviously, if you're thinking I'm going to come home in two years, you may be starting to kick those tires a lot earlier. Yeah. And that actually does line up with, again, what I'm hearing and seeing anecdotally. And I think in part, that's the change in our audience, Um, you know, over COVID, obviously taking our event style interviews with expats online and onto the podcast, we've grown our audience largely offshore. And so I'm hearing a lot more from people overseas who are saying, look, I want to come home in the next two years. I'm not sure how I am positioned and I'm not sure where to start, but what I want to do is make some sort of informed decision. How do I actually best look at that? So I know that a lot of people are sitting overseas being really considered and thoughtful about how they want to come home, when they want to come home, and really conscious that they need to do some work to do that. And, you know, we all know that for many, they're in large markets, you know, overseas and returning to a small market. And without the work being done or without having activated your networks, it can feel like 
you know, you're shut out. You're on the wrong side of the school gate (laughs) and it takes time. It takes a lot of time otherwise. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting stat as well. So our fifth insight is that Australians seem to be connected to Australia while living overseas, but Australia isn't connected to them in the same way. And if we think about why we asked this question, it was a number of reasons, but one of the main ones was that for those who've been out of the country for five years or more, one of the big objections that they come up against in the interview process with hiring managers or with recruiters is like, ah, you've been out of the country. And it's an immediate barrier that people have to overcome. And there is a perception that if you're out of the country, you have no idea what's going on. Now, sure, you absolutely look at it from a different lens because you're not on the ground. So that's taken for granted. But Australians are far more connected than I think they're given credit for. 90% are reading the news regularly. And by regularly, we mean weekly. 40%, I thought this was interesting, 40% of people come home annually. 23% came home more than once. So that's 63% of respondents actually were back on the ground, you know, at least once a year. I was quite surprised by that. I mean, that's probably the effect of very reasonable um, airfares. Yeah. That never happened for me in some of my um, overseas adventures. Me either. I think I came home three times in seven years and there was a stint there of about two and a half years where I hadn't come home, which I did think was too long at the time. But obviously that question was asked, you know, if you are still overseas (laughs) pre-COVID, How many times did you come home? Because we appreciate that um, in the last two years you couldn't get into Australia. But, you know, 63% of people socialised with other Aussies. I think it was about 42% that worked with other Aussies. So, again, it's not just your own direct line into Australia that you're hearing about. It's the people that surround you as well. And there's an active interest in Australia. Like I know... um you know, I worked for an Australian company overseas, but I was very connected to Australian news. I read Australian news every day. According to the survey, 90% of Australians overseas access Australian news relatively frequently. So there is that sense of you don't, I I never felt like I lost that connection, but that could have been my personal experience. But it, it feels like through the survey, a lot of people feel the same way and they maintain those networks when they come home. And I think it's also inter- their interest in Australia, obviously as an Australian and with an intention to come home, your interest is very high. And when we ask the question, would you work for an Australian company even remotely, 90% of people said yes. So they're prepared to work remotely and I'm assuming for some of them that would be dreadful um, time differences, but there is that really strong sense of connection from the expat's point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes for both remotely working directly for an organisation, but also advisory type roles or board roles, board advisory roles. There was a really high appetite for that. I think one of the opportunities potentially is to look at industry groups. I think only 7% of respondents were a member of their industry group. And by and large, industry groups are a huge source of knowledge around, you know, current events, current challenges, you know, latest company announcements, um, leadership announcements. So I think that is absolutely an opportunity to, to probably boost your knowledge if you're not a part of one. Old university alumni also weren't scored, you know, quite low. Um, again, that's not always relevant for everybody who's overseas, but it's another source if people are looking for, you know, ways to to boost their knowledge of what's going on. Absolutely. 
So we're coming to the end of our five insights. So just to recap, um, the top five insights were the job matters, most Aussies boomerang, local hirers aren't calling Australians overseas, most Australians overseas worry about how their international experience will be received, but maybe they shouldn't, and Australians are connected to Australia while living overseas, but Australia is not connected to them in the same way. Well, I think that there's lots of opportunity to be garnered for both organisations and expats themselves with those insights, right? So if we know that's the ground level, how do we build on it for mutual gain? Obviously, there's loads more in the actual report, including the fact that of the respondents who are partnered, 64% have a partner that was born overseas. One of our partners on the survey, um, advance.org, they've actually just released their new survey. They do an annual survey. And I know that they're looking at this connection a little bit more deeply, So, which is great because, it, as you said, it does have a huge impact on planning because all of a sudden you've got one partner who needs to look at visas, who needs to look at reciprocal work rights or qualifications being aligned and accredited here. So, yeah, they're running their annual survey right now. So if, especially if you're in that camp, I would suggest that you would, um, you would seek their, their survey out and complete that because I think, you know, this sort of knowledge, we're, we're building on each other's knowledge, I think, here, which is great. And I think the next time we do the survey, we'd like to explore more about some of the barriers that an accompanying partner may have if they are in certain professions. It certainly is a challenge from a lot of people we speak to when they have partners coming from abroad who have overseas qualifications in certain professions locally. And then, you know, as we heard through our survey, there are some professions and we heard from teachers, allied health professionals, pilots, where the professional requirements are making it a little bit unattractive for an Australian to return home. And similarly, for a foreign-born partner, they could be equal challenges as well. I think it's the length of time. It can feel really bureaucratic and it just feels circular, like you're going around the mountain several times. But that's hard, right? Like if you're a teacher who's coming home and you're an Australian-trained teacher and you're being asked to work at a graduate salary rate, which is the example of one of the case studies in our report, it's really a hard pill to swallow if you've been teaching for 25 years. You know, I think they had to do 400 plus days, you know, before they were going to have their experience recognised. I find that extraordinary. So there are definitely some opportunities, I think, to look at how the systems can be sped up. It's not really our space, but it's a massive impact, right? Oh, we would encourage a lot more work in that particular area. I mean, I know through the podcast we've worked with Liz Ritchie, the CEO of the Regional Australia Institute, and, you know, the statistics of the difficulty they're having in regional areas with professions like teachers, with professions like allied health professionals, and then we see allied health professionals and teachers wanting to come home, there's got to be a way to make those paths a little bit easier in a skill shortage. Yeah, agreed. I know you, Margot, are presenting to a number of corporates and global mobility experts over the next few weeks about this report. How could those people use this report? As I said earlier, like a lot of people who are overseas with organisations, they're not waiting to come home. So I think it's really important that organisations know what the ambitions of their people are so that they're aligned with them. But one of the other things that came through is that whilst 83% of people who returned with their organisation are still with them, 
50% were actively looking for a role outside of that organisation. So they're coming home with their organisation, but they're not necessarily sticking. And when we asked for reasons around that, it was really around lack of progression, career progression, um, loss of opportunity, meaningful work and opportunity, culture fit. There was a sense of disconnection there. So I think for them, there's an opportunity to look at retention programs and career mobility programs to boost that retention and, and, you know, obviously to leverage the knowledge and the networks of the people that they've had offshore. And how do you think Australians who you coach and you mentor, how would you encourage them to use the report? Well, I think, you know, we chatted about it a little bit earlier where the average person who was considering coming home was spending one to two plus years in the planning stage. So I really can't reinforce that enough. Coming home to a smaller market, you really want to make sure that you have thought about how you're going to localize your global story. You've made sure that, you know, you are clear on what it is that you want, because ultimately, if you end up in front of a recruiter or a hiring manager and you're not confident or you're not presenting that confidently, it can really go against you like anybody in an interview process. So doing that real thinking work prior is really important. The positioning piece, I can't emphasize enough just to really think about that piece. And obviously then to think about how do you engage your networks? And, you know, that's about getting clear on who you do know and who you don't know, but you need to know. And so then how do you actually work out a way to approach them in a manner that's really authentic and meaningful and to start to build that whilst you're away? Because I think that just helps smooth the landing. If you can get off the plane, if you don't have a role, but if you get off the plane and you've got four or five coffees lined up, you will feel so much better about the opportunities that lie before you. I'd also say I found the case studies in the report quite um, interesting and learning from other people's paths and perhaps how they've had to change and pivot their thinking, but still ended up in really great careers, but just maybe not the ones they thought when they thought they were coming back to Australia. So I'd encourage people to perhaps just um, flick through the report and just go straight to the case studies. If you're time poor, they're very short, but they should give you some perspective on some experiences that have happened literally in the last couple of years. So that's it from us. Um, We're working on the next podcast season as we speak, plus some looking at some new ways to provide Australians overseas information about the job market here. So make sure you're subscribed to our EDMs and follow InSync on all the channels. And any questions, um, feel free to reach out, send Margot an email or a direct message, and we'll get back to you. To access a full copy of our report, please head to our website, www.insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can download it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. And finally, I'd like to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, wherever you may be in this big, wide, wonderful world of ours. And I look forward to bringing you more stories from our expat community in 2023.